Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is a message series entitled, Not of This World. It's not that we're from a different planet, but understand this world is not your home. If you belong to Jesus, this world is not your home, and you cannot be at home here. There is no fellowship of light with darkness. This world is not your home, and we're not of this world. And 1 John chapter 3 helps us understand uh, one of the most obvious and fundamental ways in which we are not like people who don't know Jesus. Uh, some of you heard me talk about uh, my pastor, Philip Masters, way back in the day. Uh, he wasn't my first pastor, but he's one of the first pastors I remember uh, being my pastor. I was very small. Um, he was a great man. My grandfather was alive at the same time. I love my grandfather. My grandfather was not a believer at all. My grandfather lived right next door to our church, which was pretty fantastic because I could be in the cookie jar before church and then go to church and come back and be back in the cookie jar just running across grandma's yard. That was cool. Um, I also at the time thought it was kind of cool that, that my grandfather never had to go to church. He didn't go. I understood that he really didn't believe what the rest of us believed, but he just didn't go. Uh, he sat and smoked. Uh, cigarettes and sat on the couch and watched TV till we all got back. Um, I was a little jealous of that, to be honest, somehow that he didn't have to go and I did. Uh, there were a lot of Sunday nights when he stayed home and watched the $6 million man and I would have given a kidney out of my body to watch the $6 million man, but I had to be in church every Sunday night. Um, so I was sort of learning the difference between those who believe and those who don't from my grandfather. One day, I was in the car with my grandfather, and we were driving around a corner, and my pastor lived in the house right on that corner, Brother Phil. And uh, in that moment, uh, Brother Phil opened his front door and stepped out on his porch, and he was barefoot. I know it sounds like not a big deal, but when you're a kid growing up in church, like your pastor is like, like way up there with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Brother Phil. And uh, just number one, seeing him step out of his house without his Bible and his suit on was just like, oh, you know, because I thought he was like always Sunday morning, you know, Brother Phil. And then on top of that, man, he was barefoot, like, like he stepped out barefoot. And I was processing all of this. And my grandfather, at the, you know, at the, he just sort of said out loud, uh, you have to know him. Um, uh, every word out of his mouth was a cuss word, but what he said was, um, you know, look at that fool, talking about Brother Phil, look at that fool. I bet that fool uh, gave his shoes to some idiot in the projects. Only he didn't say fool and didn't say idiot, you know. He, he had other words. Um, he, he was not paying Brother Phil any kind of compliment. It was nasty. He just said fool probably gave his shoes to some idiot in the projects. Um, I remember at the time thinking some things very strongly in the First thing I remember thinking was, if, if Brother Phil did give his shoes to someone from the apartments, then he is not a fool. He is a, a kind and generous and Christ-like man, and I want to be like him. It's just the moment when in my mind I made that decision that I was going to be like Brother Phil and not like my grandfather. 
The second thing went through my mind was, man, my pastor has the whitest feet. <laughs> I, mean, man, I mean, they were seriously so, it looked like something you dig out of the ground. I mean, you know, they were just so white. And then I remembered that verse, again, as a kid in church, I knew the verse that said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I thought, no, <laughs> no, they're not. Um, my grandfather is like most people in the world who just really didn't think that giving your stuff away to some undeserving stranger, you know, that just wasn't the way he lived and it wasn't um, the kind of life he even respected. That was my grandfather. Um, it makes me think of the day when Jesus was with the crowd and a, a, an expert in the religious law, a Bible person, you know, asked Jesus about salvation and what he needed to do. And Jesus said, well, you know the Bible, what's it say? And the man said, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, that sounds about right. Why don't you go do that? And then the man realized that, you know, that hadn't gone the way he expected. So he came back with the great question, who's my neighbor? And if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, then who's my neighbor? Understand, he was looking for a loophole, as we all do. Just looking for some way to figure out. Now, when you say love my neighbor, which neighbors are you talking about? Because, you know, we want to find a way to draw a line so that we don't end up wasting our love on people that aren't worth it. My grandfather would have been like that. My pastor, Brother Phil, was not like that. He loved the way Jesus loved. It turns out that the world is just full of people who are in need and need the love of Jesus and need our help. Um, but the world is not full of good Samaritans. You understand that? So let's look at 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 11. Um, I'm not going to read or tell you anything in the world that you don't already know. I'd be really surprised if anybody hasn't heard what I'm about to preach. Uh, but I'm, asking, I'm begging you to make a commitment to live what you know uh, based on what we read today. 1 John chapter 3 verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, your brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that what we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Verse 11, the oldest commandment in the book, right? It's a message we've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. In other words, for John, this is, this is foundational. Just foundational. This is where it all begins. You've got to love one another. You know this. You know this. And John knows that you know this. But knowing and doing are two separate things. And John says, this is the message. This is the foundation of our faith. You've got to love one another. Now, the language John is using is obviously sort of, you know, geared toward inside the church. He's writing to a church. He's preaching to a church. He's talking to church people. They're the ones that are going to receive this message. So he's telling church people that they ought to love each other. And I remind you, there's nothing more basic. Now, that is not in any way to cancel Jesus' commandment and the commandment all through Scripture to love everybody. Jesus says, love your neighbor, everybody. Love them the same way you love yourself. You have to love everybody. But John, at the same time, assuming that you're trying to love everybody, he also just sort of points out that you're not going to be very good at loving people out there if you can't love people in here. We're brothers and sisters. We're the people of God. I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. We have the same Spirit of Christ in us. I want to be more like Jesus. You're becoming more like Jesus. We both have the love of Jesus in our hearts. If that doesn't somehow turn into you and me loving each other as brother and sisters, then there's something wrong with us, something profoundly wrong with what we call Christian faith. And this is what John is trying to say. He's trying to point this out. Now, to drive the point home in the passage we've just read, if you'll notice, John gives us two examples and one test. Two examples, one test. Two examples of love, and then a good way to test yourself to see if your love and your faith is genuine. All right? So, we start out with the first test. It's in verse 12. Who is the first? I said test. Who's the first example? Verse 12. The first example is Cain. Yeah, John says, what you're not going to do is be like Cain. And that's a really, really good place to start. Now, Cain is a negative example. What you're not going to do is be like Cain. And that's what John says. Verse 12, what you're not going to do is be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Now, some of you are already thinking, man, that escalated quickly. You know, we were talking about love, and now you're saying don't go killing people. And Pastor Tim, I'm not, I ain't killed nobody today. You know, so you're just sort of struck by that language, you know, that don't be like Cain who killed his brother. You're not really thinking about killing anybody, and I understand that, and John understands that. But John is also using a very, a very specific way of communicating to make you see the truth about yourself. John describes everything in terms of these uh, ultimate opposites, light and dark. He says, what fellowship has light with darkness? He, he pushes you to the extreme. He doesn't make room for any just shadowy places in the middle because that's where you and I would rather find ourselves. But John says, no, it's either light in you or darkness. It's either love or it's hate. You're like, Pastor Tim, I got all kinds of emotions in between love and hate, but John says they're beside the point. Is there love in your heart or is there hatred in your heart? It's not going to be a little bit of both. 
Not if you belong to Jesus. John just has this way of pushing you to the extreme, forcing you to choose, forcing you to see something about the truth of yourself. Now, as we know, the, the whole world doesn't always fall into those kind of polarities, light, darkness, love, hate, but, but John understands that. He, he knows that you're not all going out, go out and kill somebody, but he's trying to make you see something really, really important about Cain. You're not going to be like Cain, John says, because he couldn't love his brother. I mean, that's the example. The man in the Bible who could not love his brother. And John says, what you're not going to do is be like him. And then he goes on. He killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, your brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Notice how John takes that moment and connects Cain with the world. Because Cain hated his brother Abel because Abel was pleasing to God and Cain wasn't. And he hated that. And so he turned against him. He killed him basically because Abel was pleasing to God and Cain was not, and he couldn't stand that. And this is part of what I'm trying to communicate by reminding you that this world is not your home. If you're going to love like Jesus loves, if you're going to live the way Jesus lives, you're probably going to lose some friends in this world. The world is not going to value the choices you make. The world is not going to stand up and applaud for you as you die to self and live for Jesus. I'm just telling you, as John tells you, do not be surprised when it turns out that this world is not your home. The world is not going to be where your friends are. So verse 14, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. John is just saying, you calling yourself a Christian, but you don't have love in your heart? There's something still dead in you. There's something dead about your heart. Verse 15, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And you're saying again, Pastor Tim, I just said I'm not killing anybody. I don't kill anybody. I don't even hate people. See, see I, I, that's what most would say. I don't hate people. You know, I love everybody. I don't hate anybody. See, I, I grew up in church, so I, I know church people pretty well. I actually am a church people. And I, and I work with church people, and, I, and I'm looking at church people every day of my life. So I know a little bit something about how church people roll. And most of you, especially being in the South, you would not say you hate somebody. You would say, Pastor Tim, I do not hate her. I just don't have any use for her. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's what you say. I don't have any use for her. You know, so in your mind, if it's somebody you don't have any use for, you just choose to go to the 11 o'clock service and let her go to 8 o'clock service, and that way you don't have to look at her, you, you know? Because if you're in the parking lot and she stepped out in front of you, you may hit the gas instead of the brake, even though you say that you're not a killer. I mean, you know, they're just people. You say, Pastor Tim, it ain't me, it's her. You know, I'm not usually a person that gets angry, but she just brings it out of me. I'm telling you, she'd make a preacher cuss. Yeah, so you know, that's how you talk to yourself. That's how you convince yourself that somehow she's not entitled to your love. You know, so you, you want to look for ways to excuse this obligation that Jesus lays across you. You're just trying to find a loophole so that you don't turn out having to love people you don't even like. And I know we're church people, but this is how we are. So I don't hate people. I'm not going to kill anybody. No, no. John isn't saying you're going to kill anybody. He's just saying you need to understand that Cain had a murderer's heart. 
And if you are just like Canaan, you cannot find it in your heart to love somebody. You can't love a sister in Christ. You can't love a brother. Then you got the same heart Cain had, and he had a murderer's heart. You got the same heart Cain had because he could not love his brother. You see that? First example, what you're not going to do is be like Cain. John says, and then notice what he says in verse 16. The second example, this is the good example, the ultimate example. We know what real love is because who? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the positive example. This is what you're going to do. You're going to be like Jesus. Jesus shows us what real love is, and Jesus shows us his love by dying for us. Jesus lays down his life. That's what love does. Love lays down its life. Love looks at the world, sees the need, and then sacrifices himself for the sake of the world. This is what Jesus does, and in Jesus we see what real love is. You see that? Jesus shows us what real love is because he gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus shows us real love. He gave up his life for who? For nice people, right? Jesus sacrificed himself for for the people who didn't get on his nerves. Jesus sacrificed himself for people who would appreciate all he did for them and come back and say thank you right? Jesus sacrificed himself for the world. I mean, Jesus is the one who reminds us to love our enemies. Jesus on the cross took time out to ask God to forgive the ones who were killing him. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I mean, Jesus prayed for the ones as he was laying down his life who were taking his life. I'm telling you, Jesus's love is for everybody. And he shows you how to love by laying down his life for everybody. Enemies, friends, good people, bad people, they're all sinners. The whole world needed a savior. And so Jesus laid down his life to be your savior. You see that? So you also ought to lay down your life for others. Okay? So there's your two examples. you got the bad example, which you're not going to be like Cain. You're going to be like Jesus. And then verse 17 The test. This is really simple. But you don't have to wonder, like, you know, do I have the love of Jesus in me? You don't have to wonder, you know, where do I measure up? Because John just gives you the simplest test, and it's in verse 17. And I think everybody can understand this. It goes like this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Okay, that's the test. It's really simple. Let's break it down. First off, if someone. Now, can we just be honest enough to realize that when he says, if someone, who's he talking about? You, me, us, but you, all right? So as we walk through this together, don't be playing that game where you think, ain't nobody helped me in a while, okay? Because we're not talking about them. We're talking about you, if you. If you have enough money to live well, right there, I go, okay, right there, I'm out. Because Pastor Tim, I, I don't have that much money. My house is not that nice. I don't make that much. I'm working third shift and uh, living paycheck to paycheck. So I, I guess I'm out. This won't apply to me. Well, not so fast. 
It's, scripture doesn't say if one of the Kardashians, you know, see somebody in need. No, no, we're not talking about you're supposed to be a Kardashian. We're talking about if, if you have enough money to live well. And somebody goes, so Pastor, what, what's enough money? Because I understand some of you don't get that. You've never seen enough money in your life. You want all the money. Like, and, and like you... Like, if there's more available, you'll take that too. I mean, there's never enough of anything for you. It's just you want more and more and more. But, but there is such a word as enough. And you should be able to recognize when you have enough, enough, enough to live well. We're not talking about, you know, living in a mansion. But even if you do, even if you don't, that's really not the point of this verse, to live well. See, you and I will often just compare ourselves to somebody really, really wealthy and say, well, there you go. That doesn't apply to me, you know, because my house isn't that nice or I don't have that much, you know, myself. I'm living sort of on a fixed income. I mean, I get that. I, I know how that is, but, but that's not the point. Jesus is just speaking through the apostle John here to help you understand if, if you got enough to live. We're talking about necessities. Most of us don't even know the difference anymore between what's necessary and what we just want. And that's why this just sort of goes all foggy in our head. We can't think clearly because we don't have enough sense to know what enough is. It's like when your teenager walks in the kitchen and looks in the fridge and says, Mom, we don't have any, any food in this house. There's not anything to eat in this house. You ever, anybody raise that teenager? Now, what is she saying when she says, ain't nothing to eat in this house? What your child is saying is, we're out of flaming hot Cheetos. Well, that's all she's saying. Your daughter, your, your teenager, has never walked into a kitchen that didn't have food in every cabinet, right? That there's food in that house. It's just not the food that excites her. Kind of like when you stood in your closet this morning and says, I ain't got nothing to wear to church. Like, what are you talking about? You're looking at a closet full of clothes, and you say, I ain't got nothing to wear. Okay, besides being really weird, all you're really saying is, I, I don't have any clothes that excite me today. You know, I, I need something that excites me, makes me feel you know, beautiful. You will never, ever open your closet and not have something to wear. That's not the way you live. I don't, I'm not talking about how much you have. The pastor him, other people got better clothes. I ain't talking about other people. Remember, we're talking about you. And you got clothes and you got food and, and you got a roof over your head. If, 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 if you don't, I don't mean to be insensitive to you, but I, I think I'm talking to people who slept in a bed last night. And this is the point. It's not about is there somebody with more. The point is that the real test of your faith, the test of your love, is not when you see somebody who has more. The test is when you see somebody who has less. If you see a brother or sister in need but show no compassion, how can God's love be in you? That's the test right there. Now, that ought to, you know, make you stop a moment and think. Because honestly, like, when, when's the last time you had to, like, stop and help somebody? Like, like, when's the last time you had somebody who needed a place to stay come stay in your house? When's the last time 
somebody you had an extra, you set an extra plate at your table because there was somebody who needed a meal that like when is the last time? You say, well, Pastor Tim, I, you know, I, I I'd be happy to help people. I just don't, I don't see any, but I haven't seen anybody. I don't know anybody that needs help like that. But Pastor Tim, if you run across somebody like that, you call me. Okay, if you notice, I'm not in this equation. I'm not in this test with you. This is you. This is you. And the point is, you got to see people, and you don't. That's part of your problem. You don't see people. You said, Pastor Tim, I don't think I know anybody. If, if there's somebody that needs a place to say, if somebody needs something, they could ask me. It doesn't say they have to ask you. You're supposed to see them and see their need, but you don't. You don't see I mean, if you can go through your life day after day, week after week, month after month, if you can go year after year and you don't ever help anybody, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong. You're either blind or, or just dead hearted, but you cannot possibly say that you're living for Jesus. You can't say you have his love flowing through you because this is the test right here. How can God's love be in anybody that doesn't see people in need and then show compassion? Something wrong? To show compassion, compassion, break the word down, con means with, passion means to feel. You're supposed to feel something with them. Like you see their need and you feel something for them, but you don't. And it's not just, oh, that just breaks my heart, you know, that you don't have a place to stay. God bless you. I pray for you. And then you still go home with an extra bedroom. There's something wrong with your heart. Why do you think you have an extra bedroom? Because, Pastor Tim, we work hard for what we have. We work hard for all of it. Yeah, I appreciate that you work so hard. Why do you think God blessed you with everything so you could have an extra bedroom? You have an extra bedroom. Extra means more than you need. What's your extra bedroom for? Like a, a Hobby Lobby showroom? Extra bedroom is just a place where you put all your extra shoes under the bed? Like, like what is wrong with you? That, that there are people that don't have a place to stay and it never crosses your mind to bring them home because you have an extra bedroom and you have food. You throw out food that your family can't finish. You throw food out. You have enough, you just don't see people. You don't see their need. It, it never crosses your mind. And I'm just telling you, if you can go days, if you can go weeks, if you can go years, and you don't ever have to reach back into your purse and pull out your own money and help somebody, you're living your Christian life wrong. This is the test, and it's a really simple test. It's the test of the needy person in your path. Pastor Tim, I don't think there are needy people in my path. Oh my goodness, open your eyes. You work with people every single day and some of their lives are falling apart. You don't see their need. Your kid goes to a school full of children and you watch those kids walk in and walk out. You don't see families in need. You watch the same six o'clock news I'm watching. You don't see need in our community and you never connect all that you have with all of the needs of people. What's wrong with you? If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? You gotta see them. Had a couple come to me. Their marriage was blown. It was falling apart. They've been married for years 
And honestly, I don't take sides, but man, that, that girl had put up with a lot. I mean, a lot of mess with this guy. I mean, he, he was just mean and selfish. And, and she just had enough of Vinci and said she couldn't stay with him anymore. And so then he landed in my office and he said, Pastor Tim, I don't understand. I thought everything was great. You know, she was completely miserable, and he was completely oblivious. He had this ability to live in a house with a miserable person, and he never saw her, never saw her need. And this is what I'm saying. You've got to develop this, this ability. You have to recover this ability to see people and see their need and understand your obligation to help them. Love does not close its eyes to the needs of people. You don't get to make excuses as to why. You know, you work hard for what you have, and maybe if they worked a little harder, I mean, you're just playing a game there where you're telling yourself they don't deserve your help. And that's not the point. Love doesn't ask, do they really deserve my love? Love doesn't act like that at all. Love just gives. I mean, do I have to give you an example again? We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So the lesson is plain. If you have resources that your neighbor needs, love obligates you to share. Obligate is a strong word. It means obligate. It's love. I don't mean it's like grit your teeth and give it and, you know, mad about it, but you got to do it. Because, yeah, no, if your love is genuine, you don't think twice about it. I mean, again, there's got to be some sort of real stinginess in you if you can't give $5 to somebody who really needs your $5. I mean, honestly, doesn't the Bible say God loves a cheerful giver? Man, if you've got the heart of Jesus and the love of Jesus, it's not a burden to help people. That, that's, that, that's why you're here. That's what your life's about. You don't have to try to kick yourself and make yourself do it. This is how Jesus moves us to live our lives. So yeah, the word is obligation, but, but it's just our purpose. It's a joyful way to be in the world. I mean, have you never just helped somebody and walked away and told yourself, man, I think, I, think, I think that did more for me than I just did for them. I mean, don't you feel that way nearly every time? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go help somebody. You know what I mean? Haven't you just done that? Man, you know, you got the extra $20 in your pocket, and you're just thinking, man, I got $20, and you were not. I mean, true story, I was at the hospital, I had $20. I'm thinking, man, why do I do this $20? I don't even think my wife knows I have it. This is awesome. And then I ran into a lady, and she needed $20. And I thought, I think I know why I have $20. You know, I gave her my $20, and I didn't miss it. I could have spent it. I could have found something to spend. I could have spent that by lunch, but... She really needed it. I could give that, you know. I never missed it. And besides that, it's just the incredible feeling that you get when you've done what Jesus wants you to do. It does more for you than for other people. I'm just saying it's an obligation, but it's coming from love. And you love people, you not love people. And so John goes on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I mean, and she says it, you should be willing to die for people. Take a bullet for them. I, you, die, you love them so much, you, you, you give your life. I mean, you give everything else. You just would give your life. And, and I know some of you, I know, I know church people. Did I mention I know church people? And some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I, th I think I would. I think I would die. 
I just love people so much. I would die for people. I love them. I would die. Would you, though? I mean, honestly, and I'm just going to say this, and this is coming from me, and I can't say it's in the Bible, but let me just say this, and I'm just going to be honest with you. The chances are practically nil. Like, like I would say the chances are 0% that you're going to be called on to die for somebody. I don't know that, but I think I know that just because I know you, and your life is not that exciting. You're not anywhere near that adventurous. You're not going to be in any situation where you may have to die for somebody. I, I'm, I don't know that, but I think I know that. Don't you think you know that? I mean, the chances are practically zero that you're going to have to lay down your life and die for somebody. But if you love Jesus and if the love of Jesus is in you, I can guarantee you that you're going to be inconvenienced a lot. And that's what you can't stand. You'd rather they just kill you. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, like here, you know, Pastor Tim just preached that whole thing about the extra bedroom, and now you know you got that brother-in-law that's out there, and he's just got off of meth, and now he needs a place to stay, and maybe he's supposed to come and stay in your bedroom, and he'll probably be there, and then how are you going to get him out? And you'd rather somebody just kill you than bring, I mean, you know what I mean? Because that's going to put you out so much. You know, we do not, I mean, I sometimes would rather die than be inconvenienced. And I'm just being honest. I'm as selfish as anybody. Y'all married people, y'all ever do that thing like where I'm sitting on the couch and I got, I got the, you know, the, uh, my legs all kicked up and I'm sitting there. And the only, only bad thing about this is I have finished my Diet Coke. And I really want that glass refilled, but you know how they don't refill themselves. And I'm so thirsty and I want it so bad. I want it so bad that I start praying to Jesus that my wife would have a reason to get up. Because I don't want to ask her to get up to refill my drink, but I do. I so, I, I so much want to say as she gets up, honey, while you're up, would you refill? You know what I mean? I just want to say while you're up. You know what I mean? There are magical words in marriage, while you're up. But here's the thing. I would lay there and dehydrate. Like if my whole body were so dry, I would turn to dust. I might lay there and dehydrate before I'd get up. Just wishing she'd get up so I could say, while well, you're up. You know what I mean? It's the inconvenience. Sometimes I don't even want to be inconvenienced to take care of myself. This is how we are. We are so self-focused and in so many cases so selfish. We just don't want to have to go out of our way. If you really love somebody, they're going to need stuff from you. And you're going to have to sacrifice for them. And I'm telling you, that's going to have to come from another heart that's not the heart that's in you now. Because that's not the way you are. You don't just give and sacrifice for people. You take care of yourself, and you're proud of what you have, and you work for what you have, and you like to keep what you have. You start loving people, man. It may turn out that somebody at work needs a ride to work every single morning for a month. And you kind of like to, you know, you like your drive time because you like to go through Sonic and get a large iced tea, you know, and listen to your, you know, your Christian music and then drive into work all peaceful. Like, I mean, if you got to pick somebody up, that's going to inconvenience you, you know? I mean, loving people almost always comes as an inconvenience. I promise you that the good Samaritan who came across the man in need on the side of the road, he was on his way to someplace. 
And he had to cancel his plans. He had to forget whatever he had going because he stopped because he was the man on the side of the road that was going to die without help. There were other people that passed him right by, but this guy, he did not pass him right on by. He put him on his own donkey. He took him back to the motel. He spent the night taking care of him, paid the bill, and said, listen, if anything else comes up, I, I will pay. You know, he, he did all that and was willing to do even more. And I'm just saying that that was a great inconvenience. Yeah, you, you probably ought to be willing to lay your life down, but that's really probably not where you get stuck. You get stuck in the day-to-day inconveniences of trying to put up with people. I mean, loving is going to look a whole lot like, you know, you getting up and you, and you reaching back into your wallet and you giving money and you opening up your house and opening up your table and you stopping to listen to somebody who just needs somebody to talk to. I mean, any way that you spell love which doesn't require you to be inconvenienced, you're not spelling love correctly. It always costs. This is how we know what real love is, John says. Jesus gave it all. So John wraps it up and says, dear friends, uh, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Man, I mean, y'all church people, y'all, y'all got a Ph.D. in the love of Jesus. Y'all can talk about it. You can read verses. We can sing songs about it and tears just roll down your eyes. But that's all beside the point. If you're going to walk out there and walk right past people and never, ever lift a finger to help a person in need. Love of Jesus cannot be in you. I don't care how you're moved in this service. I'm just reminding you, you're going to be tested this week. To be honest with you, you're going to be tested multiple times because the world is filled with people in need. Your world is filled with people in need. The problem is there just aren't that many good Samaritans. 